Bring it in. Bring it in. Bring it in. Bring it in for the Hootsard Huddle podcast presented by HootsardHuddle.com. It's the pot of open discussion and open dialogue. We talk about a handful of topics that fall under the blanket of sports, entertainment, politics, and business. These are my friends, my people, my fam. You are now inside the huddle. Bring it in, Michael and Matt, back for another episode of the Hotard Huddle podcast. Um, it's been a while since we've done one of these. Last episode we did, well, it's been probably a good month, month and a half. Um, just started getting back into blogging, doing some writing again. So I'm excited about that. And, you know, there, it's crazy, Matt, because, like, dude, I go through these waves where I'm just like, eh not much to talk about and then it just seems like i get the hair up my ass to start writing and talking about things and it's just consistently one thing after the next and i hit that point this past week because we literally had the best division divisional round i have ever seen probably the best round of football that i've ever seen um and then you tie the bow on the fact that sean payton unexpectedly called the quits no longer the coach of the Saints, which opens up the door for so many possibilities. You know, um, I guess we'll just start there. Let's start with Sean Payton and briefly touch on this. So I texted I texted uh, Danny about this. Um, hopefully we'll have Danny back on here next week with us. But it's so funny because the, the response was obviously a net negative losing Sean Payton. And... One of the things I touched on in my column about him, of course, he and Drew Brees completely changed the narrative on the New Orleans Saints and just the overall outlook of them. They're no longer the dumpster fire. They're no longer the laughing stock. This is an organization that now expects to win. But that being said, I talked about the underachievement side of it, which leads me to put Peyton specifically, not Breeze. I wouldn't call Breeze overrated by any stretch. He's a top five quarterback ever, um, at least as of now. He's on the cusp. I would put him four on my personal list, um, but obviously as time progresses, he could fall lower. Um, but Peyton as a head coach, when you're looking at it from a non-New Orleans native perspective, no coaches have lost that much with that kind of perennial Hall of Fame first ballot quarterback, right? So... Um, I look at that and seeing the insufficiency in the playoffs and everything like that, I kind of feel like he he underachieved. He's still great, and it's still been the single greatest run in franchise history, and they've been one of the five probably most stable organizations the last you know decade and a half. Um, but still, nonetheless, there's a little bit of underachievement there. Um, but what really excites me about this is I, I texted Danny this. I feel like Peter Brand on Moneyball because um, I instantly thought about the quote when he told Billy Bean that losing Jason Giambi and Johnny Damon, he was like, I think it opens up a whole world of possibilities for you. And I kind of feel that same way with the Saints losing Peyton and Breeze because now you don't need to continuously kick the can down the road on all these dead money contracts that they're going to have to figure out um, and battle for the next couple of seasons. You're not constantly just pushing back that debt. And now, I mean, obviously you could run it back by getting a formidable quarterback, but you could also go with a strong rebuild here and liquidate the assets that you have because you're not talking about a full rebuild in the sense of, I don't know, like a Jacksonville Jaguar situation or a team that's just continuously rebuilding. You have assets in order to get draft picks, in order to just rebuild this franchise the right way. And the beauty of the NFL is rebuilds can take sometimes one to two years at in, – in the short term. Now, of course, sometimes it can take three to four, but there's just so many potential things that I think and directions that they can potentially go from here. So the uncertainty of this all has gotten me really excited about New Orleans football because 
because of that underachievement with Peyton and Breeze, they should have more Super Bowls at this point, and they didn't. And it led me to believe that every single year going in, no matter what they looked like heading into the postseason, they would find a way to just disappoint. And they did. And now you get that fresh start. And, dude, I'm – like I said, I haven't been more excited about the Saints since probably 2011. Yeah, man. So I'll I'll kick it off first by by saying it it sucks seeing Sean Payton retire. He's gonna go. Uh, well, I guess technically retire. I honestly think he'll he'll come back at some He's point. Coming. But that's I, I that's agree. an entirely different story. But um, yeah, he'll he'll be in the Saints Ring of Honor. Uh, will the Saints ever get a better head coach than him? Probably not. I don't I don't think so. I, I would say he's been no worse than a top 10 coach his entire career since 2006, uh, probably top five, a lot of those years. Uh, he's not Bill Belichick <laughs> or anything like that, but I think he's, he's probably in the hall. I, I told you this the other day, probably in the hall of very good. Absolutely. I don't know if I'd put him in the hall of fame, but that doesn't really, I don't think it should take away from how great he was for this organization with Drew Brees and turns the whole thing around. And like you said, the saints go from a laughing stock to a perennial you could almost say powerhouse where you expect them to go into the playoffs and, and all that. But, but now you get the, the pro bowl hall of fame quarterback taken away. Then you get the coach taken away and you're left with still a really good roster. I think uh, defensively for sure. You have uh, pieces all over the place. Um, you're talking the you number know, one defense in football based on DVOA. This DVOA. Year, so. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think a lot of that has to you know do with Dennis Allen I think Dennis Allen's a great defensive coordinator, got a real shot at being the Saints head coach. Uh, you know, there's reports that he's at least the front runner right now uh, in the clubhouse, but they'll get a lot of interviews and, and things. I thought it was pretty funny. They invited uh, Leftwich for an interview because the NFC South is just that petty. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Sean Payton, uh, you know, great head coach. Um, playoffs, lot of uh, disappointment, a lot of heartbreak on final plays I guess you could say and and it sucks that they were in those positions in the first place which is like year after year you know you're the team's in the same position to lose on those crazy plays it's like and if you count them up too and this is the issue I have it's normally a defensive lapse and everything like that and the narrative has always been well, the defense has always let them down, this and that. But at the end of the day, that falls on your head coach if it's a consistent trend over multiple coordinators. You know, no one's no one's going to talk about someone like Wade Phillips being a great head coach, even though he's probably one of the three or four greatest defensive coordinators of our lifetime. Um, you know, some people are made to call plays. Some people are made – some people just don't take that leap as a head coach. Um, but ultimately – if Wade Phillips is sitting at a head coaching position and his offense sucks, even though he's a defensive coach, that's still on Wade Phillips um, or whoever it may be. So I always hated the the Sean Payton getting free from blame because at the end of the day, this whole mantra of do your job that he started way back when, well, Payton, you had to do your job. If your defense continuously had these late game lapses, that's on you because it happened under – nearly every coordinator they've had um and they've had great great defensive coordinators you and i'm not just talking like i i guess like great in a sense of you know oh he's a good name no like they have had elite guys in there time and time again um the worst one was probably uh gary gibbs but gary gibbs was still a respectable coordinator um but you always saw this trend to uh this trend with Peyton, where his defensive coordinators slowly declined as their tenures went on, except for Dennis Allen uh, in the last couple of years. But you saw it with Gary Gibbs. You saw it with uh, I, I don't want to say you saw it with Greg Williams, because obviously Bounty, the Bounty scandal took away his the rest of his tenure potentially with the Saints. But, you know, like Peyton used to yell at Gary Gibbs, he was getting on Greg Williams' ass, even if his offense had three turnovers in the first half. You saw it with Rob Ryan. You saw it, he didn't even give Spagnola a chance um, because Spags got fired after the 2012 season when Peyton was suspended. Um, and then you still see it with Dennis Allen, him just getting after him on certain games. And it's just like, dude, like, stop. Um, 
But especially right now, when the defense, I think the last two or three years, is no, it's more than two or three. The defense, at least two or three, is, is, since this resurgence of that, because of the last what five years, with the exception, or was it four or five years, they made the playoffs in a row. Um, that the defense was the bread and butter of the team. Period. Um, they played smart football in the regular season. You know minimal turnovers. Drew Brees was the most efficient he's been in his entire career. And they won by playing clock control, controlling the line of scrimmage and just that back to basic kind of football, so to speak. But going back to what I was kind of saying though, about those plays. So here's the trend. Now you had the complete defensive meltdown in 2006. It was in the snow against Chicago. So you, you kind of get a pass there. Um, then in, obviously you had the Super Bowl run in 2009, where your defense came up big for you in the NFC championship, your defense came up big for you in the Super Bowl, your defense absolutely murdered the Arizona Cardinals. Um, and then you had the, um, 2010, the beast quake and 2010, the defense carried that team the entire season. Um, but the one common denominator of always said in these games is, well, when your offense is just constantly throwing, getting your defense back on the field quickly or off the field quickly, whatever it is, those defenses get gassed. But anyway, you had the beast quake with one of the best defenses in football that year. You then go into 2011. Um, you have the defensive meltdown there with Vernon Davis. Then you go and put up a dud uh, the year after the Bounty Gate scandal. Um, defense actually held their own. They lost to the Seahawks, I believe, that year in the the um, divisional round, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I don't think they got bounced out in the first round, if I'm not mistaken. I think that year they beat the Eagles and then wound up losing, I think, 20-6 to six to the Seahawks. Um, and then, of course, the Minnesota Miracle. Um, and then trying to remember if there was one other like major, just complete flub of a defensive play. Um, I mean, in the Rams, it was more inefficiency by the offense, not scoring in the red zone. And then the Vikings the next year, a team that they should have beaten the brakes off of, they couldn't score points at home. Like it's, it's just constant letdown after constant letdown. And when you think about it, actually in hindsight, it's about half and half as far as those playoff losses goes defense versus offense. Yeah. And I mean, you're not in, like I was trying to allude to earlier, you shouldn't be in those positions time and time again, where it's heartbreak time and time again, the offense can't get it going. They're low scoring games. It's like, you know, you leave it in the hands of your defense and then these fluke plays happen. It's like, let the offense do something. It is frustrating, you know, as a Saints fan, happens over and over again. But, um, yeah, the the one that burns me the most, dude, the one that always haunts me has to be freaking Vernon Davis and then seeing him cry after he scores the touchdown. Just, like, that and then the beast quake just haunts. It's, like, my nightmare. So, for me, I think the Minnesota Miracle was the worst one for me because that was just a complete – freak play and unfortunately for marcus williams who is one of the best defensive players on the saints he now lives in infamy and lives with this stigma that he doesn't come up big yes he does you're living off one play um and it was a bad one but the the part about that was is that was such an underwhelming deficit because i feel like if the Saints win that game. That was the NFC Championship that year. Um, or, or I'm sorry. Wait, who did it? Who ended up going that year? Was that the year? Who ended up going to the Super Bowl that year? Who did the Saints have to play in the next round? Was that 2018? It was 20, I think 17. 18 was the no call. Who the hell? There was someone else in the NFC Championship. Um, because I remember Minnesota got absolutely trounced in the Was NFL. that Falcons that year? I don't think so. Um, 2017 NFC Championship. But either way, I'll look this up. But um, 
It was uh, the Vikings go to the NFC Championship that year, and they got absolutely destroyed. And it was because that was almost like their NFC Championship because the uh, that was the Eagles, the Eagles. Oh, uh, that year. Because Car- Carson Carson <laughs> Wentz, yeah, Carson Wentz goes down. That's right. Because everybody was looking at. Yeah, or the Vikings were kind of looking at that game, I feel like, as their NFC championship because the Saints were the dead runaway. Like, by the end of the season that year, they were barn on the best team in the NFC. And then they have this heartbreak to the Vikings, and then obviously Vikings, they got slapped around 38-7 to in the NFC championship. And, of course, the talking point was the big emotional high after upsetting the Saints. Um, so that was the year it was just like son of a bitch like that was the year you really could have captured it and then of course you had the no call and uh drew Brees is dumb audible and then of course blowing it in overtime when they had a chance in 2018 um but those two years i mean the fact that they don't have hardware um and another lombardi in one of those two seasons heading into the postseason they were the best team in football it's like i don't even know if you could say it's like fluky or anything like that uh, i mean it's not it's a trend you didn't get it done yeah it's a just, trend you, you, yeah when uh, and sean payton's record in the playoffs is about 500 uh, yeah what is he, and, uh, and that's the thing he's i believe he's nine and eight in the playoffs but that's the other eight, yeah this is the other thing i was talking about too with somebody earlier today actually uh regarding coaching playoff records so andy reed got brought up uh, some one of my good friends texted me and was like, "Do you think Andy Reid's overrated?" And I was like, "Absolutely not." Andy Reid's one of the best coaches of all time, and the fact he finally got his ring validates it. Um, but he's the only coach in um he's the only coach in NFL history to take uh two different franchises to four consecutive um or three consecutive NFC championships or conference championships. I'm sorry. Um. Because he did it with the Chiefs, he did it with the Eagles. He he's the guy. He, he I think he has eighteen winning seasons under his belt. He's constantly got double digit wins with every team he has. Did it with the Eagles. Done it with the Chiefs. Done it with multiple quarterbacks. Um, Andy Reid's one of the best coaches of all time. And you know there was the stigma in Philly that he was you know his run there was overrated because he never got the Super Bowl. And I'm just like, well. This is where it gets interesting because Super Bowls obviously matter to the resume to the head coach more than any other position, including quarterback. Um, and you need Super Bowls to validate you to get you into the Hall of Fame, I feel like. Uh, but he was definitively the best coach without a Super Bowl of all time um, until he finally got one. But his playoff record, 17 and 15. So when you look at the playoff record, and this is what I'm alluding to, I guess, with Peyton is – being over 500 is great because at the end of the day, if you're, you're not going to have a Belichick playoff record, you're just not. That means you're going to the Super Bowl every other year, which no coach is ever going to do again over the span of 20 fucking years. Um, so when you have that record, that's a little bit over 500. I mean, I think that's, that's validity to having a good resume. Um, but like really it's getting to those conference championships. I think that's a good benchmark because that means you coached one of the best four best teams in football that year. Um, and more often than not, Andy Reid's teams don't get blown out. It doesn't happen often. So, um, but, and there, there weren't these major letdowns. Like I think the biggest letdown for Andy Reid's career was the, um, was the Super Bowl with, uh, to and philly against the patriots so um aside from that i mean i can't think of any really major letdowns but also who did he lose to tom fucking brady so yeah i mean i guess that's that's a good indication i mean getting to the playoffs seven or having 17 games in the playoffs kind of says it in itself a little bit all right Um, you've coached 30 playoff games (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 impressive, and and Andy Reid, like what he did with, uh, like it still shocks me that he never got one with uh, Philadelphia with all those teams, man. With McNabb, he, did he go to five straight uh, championships? Philly, no, I think it was three straight, but he went to four total, I believe, with Philly. It might have been like four out of five or something. Like yeah, that. it was something, it was something dumb. Yeah, so so I mean, I'm glad he got one. Obviously, I love the uh, the big ragu. Oh, but, dude, Andy Reid, 
Andy Reid's great. He's the guy you always want to see do well. Uh, you probably heard the quote the other day talking about the uh, the chocolate cake. Did you yes. hear that one? Yeah. The Super Bowl is the ultimate chocolate cake. And I'm like, I don't think anybody, uh, any coach in the NFL could say that except Andy Reid. Well, and- I mean, we can kind of start getting into the divisional games with this because he had the quote of the divisional round. With 13 seconds left, he tells Patrick Mahomes, when things are grim, be the grim reaper and patrick mahomes goes out there and fucking steals it dude like and that game i swear to god oh dude like all the jokes float afterwards of course like memes galore saying cancel the super bowl the super bowl is now best of seven between the chiefs and bills and like god damn it i support that message that game was absolutely incredible and what was funny um in my uh fantasy football group me was I said after, during, I mean, team scored 20 plus points in two minutes. Um, But I I, I said in the group, I was like, man, I want the Bills to score, but then I want the Chiefs to kick a field goal and send the shit in the overtime. And uh, someone was like, I don't think your math checks out because, like, obviously it's improbable. And then uh, it was funny because, like, as soon as that, uh pass to kelsey happen the person who said the mass improbable sent the oh my god it's happening office gif like and it i was just like dude perfect gift for this situation like dude i was losing it over here dude going into uh when gabriel davis scored and they had 13 seconds left i'll give you a funny little tidbit so i had like a little uh like some bets going and i did horrible the day before i was down like 60 bucks 70 bucks which is a lot for me (laughs) so going into the 13 seconds i still needed chiefs to win i needed travis kelsey to hit 75 yards and i needed travis kelsey to score a touchdown and i'll be (laughs) damned if i didn't shit my pants after he scored in overtime it's just like how does this happen like that game I think I put this on Facebook. That game was, it's probably the most entertaining and best game of I've seen, especially with the, the stakes as high as they were. And yeah. you get two quarterbacks that played like perfect. Dude, I don't know if you could play uh, yeah. better than either one of them. It, no, it's a shame were... that one of them had to lose. And I know that's kind of cliche, but like, but holy true. crap, it, it is. Well, like both of them have had a great playoff run. I mean, I, I wrote this in my column talking about uh, conference championship matchups and Patrick Mahomes, he's having his best playoff run um, in his career thus far, and he's had some damn good ones. He obviously had the Super Bowl run where he had three straight comeback victories, um, and then he's made the conference championship every year. But uh, this year, I mean, he's averaging almost 400 fucking yards a game. Um, He's got eight touchdowns, got just the solo pick, completing 75% of his balls. I mean – He's playing lights out, and then I mean, Josh Allen couldn't couldn't have played a more perfect game. And dude, I loved after the game, instead of celebrating, Patrick Mahomes was like running and trying to find Josh Allen. Like the the immense amount of respect those two have for one another is just fucking awesome. Um, but that's, and you know, there was a tweet with a picture of them hugging, and it said, "Welcome to the new Brady versus Manning." And goddamn it, if that isn't true, like, yeah. It's wild because you you look at even before our time, you had the great the great quarterbacks like the Marinos, Jim Kelly's, um, and a lot of those guys in the '90s who were consistently making deep playoff runs. Um, Aikman, even uh, you know, just a just a bevy of quarterbacks. Then during our upbringing and our childhood, we had Manning, Brady. But then we also had Ben, we had Eli, we had McNabb. Um, and then, of course, Rodgers came into the equation. We had Breeze. You know, there's been so many great quarterbacks. Brett and now, Favre. yeah, Favre, another great name. And now we're entering the new era. And, I mean, we have Mahomes, we have Allen, we have Burrow, we have Herbert. Um it's oh dude and then you still of course um did i say Mahomes? yeah yeah you said okay Mahomes okay and Josh okay Allen. yeah so yeah you know you have this these handful of guys who are gonna i guess carry the torch um but you know 
like all these all these quarterbacks it's just it's silly and it just seems like it gets better and better because the ceiling for Mahomes and Allen is insane well I think what what helps them as well and and you kind of see this this shift in the NFL and and it, it goes on you know every decade or so and it's been going on since uh, the NFL was implemented but you see this kind of shift on the prototype of a position and you're seeing that with the quarterback now mm-hmm. I don't even know if I would want a quarterback on my team that can't maneuver a little bit and, and move around in the pocket uh, like you know if Tom Brady was coming up now uh, you know looking back how he was in college and early in his career the dude was slow as shit his feet yeah. were slow he wasn't, you know, quick in the pocket like he is now. Uh, so I don't even think you you really can have a quarterback in the league that's not athletic. And it's just that adds another level to, to the type of play these guys can bring that just, you know, you go above and beyond the guys that you replace. Like, I'm not saying they're going to replace Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, but just the skill set, they add something else, like another dimension. It's, it's evolving. It's the constant evolution and revolving door of exactly. the NFL. That's the perfect word. Um, but it, it's funny now though, too, because like Tom Brady was looked at as the stereotypical pocket passer, and he is, don't get me wrong, but you see him moving a little bit more now, even at 44 years old. You see him moving ways he didn't really move back then. Um, and that's what's that's what's cool, like that's what's made him great. I mean, adapt, adapt, and win. Um, but most rushing yards of his career this year, I think. I know. It was funny. He had a quote earlier in the season, and it was something stupid like, No one runs a better three yard run than I do, or something like that. Cause like he had, or a 10 yard, no one runs for 10 yards better than I do, or something like that. Cause he had like a 10 yard first down scramble, and they asked him about it. He, of course, joked about it. Like, cause he, he looks like molasses when he's moving compared to Mahomes. Fucking Lamar Jackson, obviously, Josh Allen, all these guys, but or defensive linemen. Right. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, it's crazy to think, but now the prototype for quarterbacks is to just be a gamer. Um, I think that's the best way to describe it because they can tuck and run when they need to, but they do a hell of a lot more with their feet, creating those plays for themselves. You see a lot it, of these guys are the best athletes on the field now. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Well, you go from and and they're smart too. They're not just the best athletes; they're smart. They have it upstairs. Whereas back then, it was quarterback was your smartest, not necessarily your most athletic. Now, like you said, it's kind of the opposite. Like aside from maybe what Tyreek Hill, Mahomes is the best athlete on his team. Um, Josh Allen's the best athlete on his team. That dude's just athletic beyond belief. Um, so now you're just seeing these gamers. And then, of course, you have good old Joe Burrow, who I guess we can move on to and talk about a little bit. But what I, what's funny when we, we talk about Burrow is that I wrote, and I wrote this in kind of my recap as well, but with him, yeah, I didn't watch him much at LSU. Like the year they won the national championship, I don't, I don't fuck with college football. I don't like college football. The only, the, the school I watch the most is my alma mater, that being Nichols. Um, so we're talking FCS. So FBS, I'm kind of out on, but that year that LSU had that great team and that great run. I mean, it didn't take very long to, I'd see the box scores. I'd see what Joe Burrow was doing. I was like, fuck, he's good. Um, and I only watched four games that year, um, including the playoffs. I watched the Alabama game as well. Um, and I forgot what other – I think it might have been Georgia. It was, whoever they played in the SEC championship. It was the SEC championship, the two playoff games, and Alabama. Um, and I remember watching Alabama, and I was like, I have never seen an LSU team just look in total control of this game the way I did that year. Even though the score was close, there were fluke plays. Like you had Alabama break a long touchdown on a bad angle from a DB. Um, but LSU controlled that from end to end. Um, there was not a single point in that game where I was like, LSU is going to lose this. Um, but the first time I saw Burrow get tested was in the national championship against Clemson. I remember they came out on that first drive 
Clemson was using DBs to blitz and create pressure. They were coming at him from every single angle. He looked a little rattled. He didn't know how to shake it. Got dialed in. I think it was either the second or third drive and then started looking like he did throughout the course of the season. He obviously got hurt in that game, uh, came out the second half. I remember he threw a ball into the fucking dirt. Um, and I was like, oh, shit, not good. Once again, got adjusted, gathered himself, started playing. Dude gives no fucks. And you saw it again this past weekend against the Titans. Dude gets sacked nine times. And he just keeps dropping back. And, like, the thing we the thing that gets talked about with Cincy is their terrible O-line. Man, they have a very run-of-the-mill average offensive line. Um, they did do some upgrades. I wouldn't call it terrible. It's not what it was last year. Um, but it's still not good. It still needs to improve. And it has its flaws. He was sacked 51 times this year, most in the league. But part of that's O-line. But the other part of that is Joe Burrow just not giving an absolute fuck about getting hit either. Because you see this all the time where he'll get pressure instead of getting rid of the ball, instead of you know going down. He's trying to still make plays, leaving himself vulnerable, and he just does not care. And that's part of his moxie. That's part of his toughness. And that's one of the things I herald him for against Clemson when he was in college. I was like, dude. This dude's not scared of anything, and I love that. Like, he's just going to attack. Um, and he's doing that in the NFL. Like, the Bengals this year were one of the most fun teams to watch, period. So it's really cool to see him after getting hurt last year in that brutal injury, and now he's back, and he's got his team one game away from the Super Bowl. Now, unfortunately, I do think that ends this weekend. But nonetheless, he is there. And that's just an exclamation point for his young career thus far. Yeah, and me being an LSU guy, uh, obviously I love to talk about this subject. Uh, yeah, Bur Joe Burr is a, is a dog. I don't know if you've uh, heard that before. But, yeah, that dude is, is, is an animal. Uh, bringing the same kind of swagger he brought at LSU to the Cincinnati Bengals. Like, the fact that he turned that team around and – uh, another thing is save Zach Taylor's ass because I think Zach Taylor is probably gone if they don't go to the playoffs or, or at least come close this year. But just the way that his team and he's a young guy, he's what, 24, 25, the way that he gets all these veterans and these guys to buy in because they know he's like he's not bullshitting them like he, he he's real. He, he wants it just as bad or you know, worse than, than anybody else on, uh, you know, in the NFL does and all the other guys buy in and, and you, you know, you see these connections with these receivers, he spreads the ball around. He doesn't just lock into one guy and fall into these kind of these traps, like these younger quarterbacks fall into, uh, you know, he's the way he has control of that offense at the line of scrimmage, uh, the way he's aware in the pocket. And even though that offensive line is shit, uh, I, I think you put it nicely when you said they're below average. I think it's, I think PFF ranked them as like a bottom five unit or something like that. And him scrambling around helps and it doesn't help at the same time because that obviously creates more sacks. I don't know if those necessarily count against the uh, offensive line as a unit, but, but I'm excited to see him in this game. He's looked so dialed in these playoffs so far and and even before the playoffs started what did he put up like 900 yards the last two games or yeah. uh, not counting well, the cleveland game what's interesting too about his the year he had too and this is my favorite part about it so he led the league in completion percentage he also led the league in air yards and for those listening who may not know what that means you know that's impressive Right. So air yards, just to dumb this down a little bit, that means he's throwing the ball further downfield than anyone else, meaning it's not getting to a receiver or it's the distance it takes to get to the receiver. Um, I think he finished at like a little bit above nine, nine yards per attempt. Um, so he's essentially throwing for first downs every play and he leads the league in completion percentage. That's stupid. Um, you know, typically you have Derek Parr, Drew Brees lead the league in completion percentage because they're throwing, you know. Or Mac Jones. Right, like five, six-yard passes. They're keeping it close to the line. Burrow's like, nah, fuck that. I'm airing it out. Um, now, of course, big part of that's having Jamar Chase. There was no chemistry that needed to be built. We clearly saw that at LSU. Um, but – the, it doesn't stop there. I mean, and of course, 
we talked about this when we were doing our podcast before the draft last year. We all thought Cincinnati would be stupid for taking Jamar Chase. We thought all of us collectively were like, they need to go O-line. Joke's on us. Um, but he got he got his go-to guy with Jamar Chase. But then you still got T. Higgins, who's a fucking stud. You still got Tyler Boyd. You still got C.J. Uzama, who has been big for them this year. He's had some really big games, really big plays. Uh, and then, of course, Joe Mixon. Um, so he's just spreading the damn rock around. But going back to the moxie of Joe Burrow, for lack of a better term, I did not write this in the column. I didn't necessarily want to put this into words. But Joe Burrow's got big dick energy. And this whole team has big dick energy. And McPherson, Evan McPherson, their kicker, another prime example of this energy that's created. He's got the most 50-plus yard field goals. He just booted another one to send them to the AFC Championship. And um, I forgot the quote before the kick was made, but just oozing confidence. He goes up to Burrow or somebody, and he uh, swings his leg to do a practice kick, and he goes, yep, we're going to NFC Championship, boys. Yeah, like, like, holy shit, who says that? (laughs) Right. Like a kicker who like as a A rookie, he's a rookie, a rookie kicker. You can't say that, but he does. And it's part of just that moxie and that leadership that Burrow has. It's it's leadership in a much different light than like a Tom Brady, like Tom Brady's leadership is I'm just going to speak greatness into existence. Like one of the interesting stories I heard about Brady last year with the Bucks, the second he got signed to that team set up a group chat among the entire team. And every day he just texted them, we're going to the Super Bowl." Literally like that was one of the stories I heard every single day. He would send that text. We're going to the Super Bowl." So every morning his guys are reading that and just again, speaking shit into the, into existence. But then you have Joe Burrow who just oozes that confidence. Like I said, big dick energy, rubs off on the other team and everyone just has the confidence to say, fuck being the underdog. No, like, cause he, he obviously had that quote that where he said, I'm tired of the underdog narrative. We're coming for it all. Like, Oh, it's so great. It's so great. There is not a reason to hate this guy. He's amazing. And the NFL is in, in great hands. If it's going to be with him, Josh Allen, you know, out there, Justin Herbert in there, like the young Pat, quarterback, Pat Mahomes, uh, is still Pat Mahomes too. he's still, he's what, 26, maybe? 26 or something. Year like older, that. He, I think he's a year older than Burrow. It's um, just the talent uh, of, any, of these quarterbacks, you know, 25, 26 or younger is just, it's, has it ever been better at any point in NFL history? Like these guys are coming out and, they don't have to wait. They can come in and be like Justin Herbert after Tyrod Taylor gets stabbed in the lung and inverted me by that doctor. Well, like, dude, uh, then they got that dude. They all are in the AFC too, which is freaking crazy. Like, oh, that's gonna be such a mess. If I'm one of them, kind of like, uh. and can you imagine if, uh, like, I'm not saying it's gonna happen, but obviously the the Nathaniel Hackett connection. Like, if Aaron Rodgers goes to the Broncos, like, how dude, loaded is the AFC? The AFC is about to be stupid. If Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, that's another thing. If they go to the Broncos, holy shit. Or even if Adams goes to like the Raiders to go back to uh, back home to California. Yeah, they got some they got some good, good stuff brewing. But coming up for the weekend, though, let's let's kind of get into the two games we got. So let's start with NFC here. Um, We get a divisional matchup between the Rams and Niners. Niners happen to be the Rams kryptonite. They've lost two games this year. The only, the only second half blown lead that Sean McVay has in his career. He is 45 or 46 and one at halftime when he's got the lead. The one behind the one in that number is the San Francisco 49ers this year. Um, And then of course they blew him out in the other game. So that's going to be an interesting matchup. Um, divisional contests are always interesting. You saw a 2-0 and team as far as divisions go, uh, and that'd be Bucks and Saints last year. But the Bucks ended up winning um, and got their revenge on the Saints, bouncing them from the playoffs. Will we get that again? I don't know, uh, to be determined. But this matchup's interesting. You got two really good defensive lines and defensive fronts. Um, 
And on one hand, you have the complete opposite offenses. So you have the Rams who get heralded for their pass attack, Stafford, Cooper Cup, Beckham, um, and all those guys. Then you have Kyle Shanahan, who's heralded for their creative run. And, you know, they have the versatile chess pieces like Debo Samuel. Uh, Debo Samuel. So I'm interested to see this matchup. I personally, I'm picking the 49ers to win this. And I think the 49ers and Jimmy G go to their second Super Bowl within the last three years, which is fucking bizarre to even say out loud. Um, but this is, it's interesting. I mean, if San Francisco goes, that's their third Super Bowl appearance in the last 10 years. That's pretty remarkable considering the dumpster fire they were for the year after Harbaugh left. Um, so that's going to be interesting. Rams and 49ers, I think it's going to be a great game. I think that one's going to be close, but uh, I'll take the 49ers. Yeah, so I, I also... Very much looking forward to that game. Divisional matchups, like you said, they're always a little bit uh, – you want it a little bit more, and you've seen these guys. You know what they're going to throw at you. You, you think the, you hate them a little bit more because they're in your division, and you know you don't want that other team to steal your fire, especially when a Super Bowl spot is on the line. Um, if I'm going to pick a team right now, probably going to pick the Rams in that matchup only because I'm just going with the hot hand right now. And Matt Stafford is looking pretty damn good in the playoffs. Uh, There's OBJ. OBJ. Uh, I thought he, I w- didn't say he was toasting Cleveland, but I thought he went from a receiver with six gears to only five. That, that was my thing. He was more of like a, a possession receiver, you know, who can run routes and get open and, but he doesn't have that gear anymore and proving me wrong. Uh, he looks as this, as explosive as ever. I don't know if he just needed that extra year coming off the knee injury, which is quite possible. Other possibility is that he didn't want to play freaking Baker Mayfield, which I can understand, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, he's looked great as well. I mean, for a guy who hasn't gotten any touchdowns um, really being in Cleveland, um, he certainly made up for it. I mean, dude, through all of Cleveland, he had, I mean, three, two and a half years there, he had seven touchdowns. Um, excluding the playoffs. I mean, he's already caught five touchdowns with the Rams. He's hurt. Yeah. Um, it's been like almost a touchdown a game with the Rams. It's been, yeah. it's been stupid. <laughs> um, so he's, I mean, he's obviously doing really well. Um, so the Rams are, Rams are explosive. And then of course you got Mr. Reliable and Cooper cup who of course put the dagger on our beloved Brady. Um, and that's the other thing, like that game was tough to watch, man. Like, um, I'm, but at the end, like, it was one of those things, like you and I kind of talked about this. It was, it was kind of shitty to see Tampa Bay not get the comeback, but like the fact that they made it back into that game, um, it made it exciting and it was typical Brady. Um, so it man, if it's, if you're going to get bounced, at least get bounced with a fight. So um till the very end man yeah and like as soon as it happened too i was like fuck dude they really just tied it and then stafford hits cup number one then hits him again on that deep ball to step the field goal i'm just like son of a bitch and of all people it's like you don't cover cooper cup or you don't double him it's like even if he's running out of the slot uh, i couldn't believe it it's like after all that that's the shit you pull yeah it was rough but Rams Great are game. Rams are a damn good football team, dude. They their their front made Brady very uncomfortable for most of that game. Dude, Von um, Miller is paying dividends and then some. I dude, mean, you got you got, got Aaron for. right. You the they went all in. If they don't win, Jesus Christ, that sucks for them. But I mean, I mean dude, they they got their philosophy of of trading draft picks for proven <laughs> players. And and you can do that when you hit on your fourth, fifth, sixth round picks. Yeah. And you can do that producing. when you get those role guys, you can do it. Um, when you get those Van Jefferson's in there. Um, and then next year, I mean, I, don't, I forget how many of their contracts expire. I haven't looked at their cap or their uh, contract situation, but like you still got Robert Woods who's injured too. Um, they finally got Cam Akers back, obviously who's been playing well um, since returning. And then, yeah, I mean, Rams are just – they're a well-oiled machine right now. 
Um, well run. They are. Sean McVay, I mean, that's the other thing, too. Like, I love Sean McVay. Like, as far as coaches go that are left in this playoff, like, dude, you, I like all of them, man. Like, Zach Taylor's cool. Andy Reid's obviously an OG. Um, and then you get two really great young guys with Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. Like, as far as coaching matchups and creativity is concerned, that's going to be a fun matchup. Um, I mean, it's really three young guns and – and Andy Reid, if <laughs> yeah. you think about the it. O- the OG that's still hanging on. He's still there, man. You, you got to dethrone the champs. But, um, yeah, NFC matchups, uh, I mean, it would have been cool to see Rams and uh, Packers, but I'm glad we got Rams and Niners. Um, and then uh, over into the AFC, we obviously have Chiefs and Bengals. Um, I'm, I already alluded to who I'm picking here. I'm going with the Chiefs. Um, I just think they're going to overwhelm them. Now, obviously, the Bengals do have a win against the Chiefs in this season. So, um, But playoffs are a different animal. The Chiefs are the well-oiled machine that I've always believed them to be. And I'm going to poke a little fun at you here, you dickbag, because, you know, I, I, I think back to week six, seven, eight, whatever it was. Oh, yeah. I'm going to hit the panic meter at like a seven. Just get the fuck out of here. It's the goddamn hey, I, Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. I actually thought about this the other day, though, <laughs> because if this was any other team with any other quarterback leading the league in interceptions, I would have given them a 10. So the fact that I gave them a little bit of wiggle room with a seven. Don't give <laughs> Don't try to Don't try to justify this, you ball bag. Patrick Mahomes, man. But no, they, they've gotten rolling. Uh, Spags, who we kind of talked about earlier, um, could be coaching another Super Bowl. I mean, he helped the Giants with their defense, and now the Chiefs defense is rolling once again. So, um, And they win last week without Tyron Matthew. He goes out really early. And yeah. I thought that was going to be their downfall, is not having that – your quarterback on defense, basically. I mean, it was because they gave up so many damn a points. Lot of yards. And yards. A lot but, of points. <laughs> but when you have Patrick Mahomes on the other end who could do the same thing, I mean, shit. It's uh, it's silly. But, yeah, uh, I think what I are... had the panic meter at about seven when Tyron Matthew went out. Tyron's a chest back at you. But, yeah, so who do you have in this one? Who are you taking? You taking Bengals or Chiefs here? I don't think I can in good faith take the Bengals. And it's not because I think the Bengals, because they have Joe Burrow and they're, I think they have the best offensive weapons in the NFL and that's including the chiefs. I think they have the ability to keep up with the chiefs. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to beat the chiefs. I think experience, uh, whether it's coaching experience at quarterback, uh, just the roster, they've been there before, uh, you know, they, they know they've been there. What, uh, this will be their third year going to the Super Bowl because he won one and then lost to Tampa, right? Yeah, he lost to Tampa, um, beat the Niners, and then uh, they got bounced by the Patriots uh, in the AFC Championship one year. Yeah, so this will be his, his third Super Bowl. Uh, I mean, a lot of those guys, or at least a, a bunch of the core guys, have been there for – that entire run. This was uh, their window. I mean, they still, I think they have one more year to run it back before they've got to start making some decisions. So this is their way to catapult Mahomes into potentially maybe one day dethroning Brady as the go. Another stratosphere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, th- I don't, I don't see them losing to the Bengals. I, I give the Bengals at least a fighting chance. Like I think I the way it plays out game flow wise is going to be. So I think, think the spread on this at least last time i checked the early spread that came out was chiefs by seven i'd say right now i'd take the chiefs at minus seven uh because i think the way this game plays out i think it's going to be like a 10 to 14 point win for the chiefs um i think it'll be a lot of back and forth but it'll be one of those games that's close enough to where they're not out of it but not close enough to where the Chiefs aren't in control for most of it. You don't so, let them get, you don't let the Bengals get comfortable. Like yeah, exactly. I don't know how much of a factor like Joe Mixon will be, for instance, because if the Chiefs go up by you know ten early or something like that, fourteen early, you're not going to be able to really run the ball. Yeah, uh, which I think hurts uh, hurts them. Whereas if you know the Chiefs go down, 
I don't think it's going to happen, but they go down 10 or 14 early. You're like, all right, well, they'll tie it in 10 minutes or five minutes. Like, I think it's just different. We've seen that story unfold before. We saw it (laughs) unfold three times during Mahomes' only Super Bowl win. So, because they they were down every every single playoff game. They were down 20-something to the Texans, came back, beat the brakes off them. Um, Forget that game happened. Jesus. Dude, dude. like I just remember sitting there just being like, holy shit, because I think that was the yeah, that was that would have been the divisional round. Um, But uh, they they ended up beating the shit out of the Texans. Um, And then I forgot who they played in the conference championship that year that they were down to and ended up beating. And then um then in the Super Bowl, they were down to the Niners. Like, this is what's crazy. So if we end up getting the Kansas City 49ers rematch like I picked, um, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo outplayed Patrick Mahomes for three and a half quarters that year. And missed one big throw at the end of the game, really. And then for the last seven minutes of the game, Patrick Mahomes did what Patrick Mahomes does and just goes into God mode and Jimmy G couldn't make the clutch play down the stretch to help the Niners. And Patrick Mahomes did. And it was just crazy because I was like, fuck, dude. Like, had Jimmy G just put together that full game? Mahomes is on the losing end of two Super Bowls right now. So it's it's wild, man. It's But that's, that's what I love about the NFL. Like, even a team like the Niners, like, they're very limited at quarterback. Like, you look around the quarterbacks that are competing right now, one of these things is not like the others. One of them just doesn't belong, but they're still in it. One and... is sexy garbage. Right, right. So, it's wild, dude. But uh, I am looking forward to Championship Sunday, man. I am looking forward to it. Um, if it's anything like last week, last week is probably collectively maybe one of the best uh, weekends of football ever. Uh, yeah. I, I can't wait. Dude, it's going to be glorious. Now, um, one of the things I'm most looking forward to, uh, we'll kind of get into some pop culture, wrap this up. So one of the things that uh, we're going to start doing, kind of diving into some pop culture, especially once football season ends, because, well, football season will end. And then we'll talk NBA, whatever the hell else we want to do, because, well, talk about whatever the hell we want. But Definitely not baseball. Yeah, <laughs> fuck baseball. <laughs> Even though I was happy the Braves won and, you know, once I moved to Atlanta, it was pretty great. But uh, put so, them in the hall, right? Like get them in the hall of fame, dude. I'm over that shit. Um, but dude, Super Bowl halftime show this year. Holy shit! Like I'm usually excited for the halftime show most years. Like yeah, it's very hard to disappoint me with halftime shows. Like I was pumped for Shakira and J Lo. I was pumped for the weekend, but this year. Holy the hype shit. video. Oh my god. Dude, we got Dre, we got Snoop, we got Kendrick Lamar, you got Mary J. Blige, and then you got Eminem. Like, dude, what the fuck? This is gonna be lit. Every other word is gonna get bleeped out, and then Mary J. Blige is gonna go up there and sing a full song, and then the next song. <laughs> dude, the second I hear forgot about Dre. Oh man. I I'm I'm might like pound like three I mean, it's, it's pretty it's it's like some of the most influential people uh you know from the hip-hop scene that that we've grown up with like absolutely yeah you know, kendrick lamar eminem dr dre like all legends in hip-hop you get mary j blige uh freaking snoop dog it's like the snoop if you would double g baby if you would have told me this was the the halftime show without me seeing anything official i would be like fuck out of here like there's no way you got all right, of them right no way but yeah, dude, it's going to be sick. It's going to be sick. Um, but uh, so one of the things I kind of wanted to touch on in terms of pop culture. So um, I went to the movies recently, right? Now, most people, if I say I go to the movies, they'll probably think, oh, you probably saw Spider-Man. No, I didn't. Um, I, I want to, I'm going to go see it. I'm, I, I was thinking about potentially going tomorrow for an early showing before I got to go to work, but um, I went and saw Scream uh, because I am just a absolute mark for the Scream franchise. It was great. Um, but that being said, I could talk about Spider-Man because, well, I kind of know the spoilers. Um, when it comes to superhero movies, I'm not the superhero like, fanatic like most people are and i don't knock it at all like 
they're the movies are great. Um, but I haven't seen most of the Marvel movies, even though I've read the spoilers, read the synopsis of them. Um, I've already spoiled Spider-Man for myself, uh, but nonetheless, still going to go see it because, well, spoiler alert, if you don't want to hear them, tune the fuck out. Um, but, I mean, once the trailer dropped, I can tell you, like, I got goosebumps when you get the uh, Willem Dafoe's laugh, obviously, as Green Goblin. So you kind of got the tease there that he's reprising that. And then you get the um alfred molina showing up as doc ock and just the hello peter like dude oh i get goosebumps thinking about it like that's so cool and then of course the secret is out andrew garfield toby mcguire make their return and not only did they make their return from what i've heard they absolutely murdered it and it's fucking awesome well, I can uh, I can definitely tell you that I saw that movie and uh, it's probably my my number one or number two between that and uh, Infinity War. So it's it's incredible. Uh, I told you this earlier, but I personally think Andrew Garfield stole the show. Yeah, and he the emotion you see him display. And uh, I, I guess since we're spoiling stuff, I'll go a little bit into it. Um, the scene where he. Uh, in, in his movie, in Amazing Spider-Man, doesn't get to catch uh, Gwen Stacy. Gwen Stacy dies. It, it's it's obviously a devastating moment. And in this movie, uh, I even kind of called this when we see the trailer, him reaching down, or a Spider-Man reached down to try to save uh, MJ. And I'm like, it's got to be him. And of course, it is him. And once he catches her and they're on the ground, he just like, tears up and like wants uh, to start bawling dude, I, i'm getting goosebumps like, hearing you talk i'm getting about goosebumps it. Like, right now like thinking about it and 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 everything like replaying it in my head but it's just like the emotion they put in into this movie uh it, it's probably one of the more emotional movies in the marvel cinematic universe uh aunt may that whole scene is fucking horrible to watch it's and that got spoiled for me before i saw the movie that's the yeah. one the one thing I, I got spoiled was that um, that's a horrific part of the movie. Um, but, you know, just seeing all these guys reprise their role, seeing Tobey Maguire come back like he was our Spider-Man. Like that yeah. was it. He, you know, he when we were who's like the, 10 or. Well, who, who's your favorite of the three? Like if you uh, we we love ranking <sighs> shit, we love ranking shit. So if you had to rank, them, well, what order would you put them in? It's, it's and it's difficult. not disrespectful to them because it's hard. no, I don't like. It's it's hard because I think they each played it so distinctly their own. Like each Spider-Man is so different. Um, I think Toby's kind of Toby's kind of the Boy Scout. Andrew Andrew's kind of the sarcastic asshole. Tom's just the like. I think Tom in betweener. I, I put him at number one because yeah. I think he's what Spider-Man was. Supposed supposed to be like this kid who's just doesn't quite know where he like really fits in and he's kind of like just ignorant to the situation super smart like yeah you know how spider-man was supposed to be i'd probably put and it kills me to do this i put toby last yeah same same i'd have i'd have the same order i'd have i'd have i'd have holland garfield and toby and again, it's kind of the same thing as like when you're ranking like some of the great jokers of the world. Like it's like none are bad, but some right. you like more than others. It's like yeah. picking your favorite child. You love all your children. But <laughs> <laughs> I will and not I mean, reveal that on this podcast. And then that's another podcast. <laughs> I'm not revealing that ever. Um but no, it's uh yeah, it's it, but that's and that's what's cool. I think that's like kind of my favorite part about the whole Spider-Man universe here. The Spideyverse is you had three very talented, very good actors all get to play that role. And all of them were great in their own right. Um, I really hope Andrew Garfield gets another movie. Yeah. I was disappointed when the rug got pulled from him. I was pretty, pretty butthurt about that because i was like dude i love his just well, sarcastic asshole i'll interject just to say one thing that you you will probably find interesting so um when they're in the movie toby mcguire and like they're all three of them are talking all three spider-man and, and toby mcguire and tom holland are talking about like how he fought thanos 
and now he uh like toby mcguire fought like green and it's like how they're kind of aliens or whatever and uh andrew garfield's like wow i never got to fight an alien and then you go back all the way to the cut scenes and one of the cut scenes uh guess who gets brought into the multiverse fucking tom hardy venom so i'm just saying it's it's possible i did not that, hear about that yeah he's the last cut scene uh, dude he's at a so bar i'm glad you gets... brought up i'm glad you brought up tom hardy because i want to talk about tom hardy for a second so that is someone who will fucking murder you with his facial expressions like tom hardy is low-key one of the most underrated best actors out there Dude, period his, his range is incredible so um i recently watched the movie lawless um danny who's not on here who would be fanboying out right now like for years has said dude you gotta watch lawless you gotta watch lawless tom hardy forrest bondurant will elevate to one of your favorite like movie badasses um in 10 and I- words what's the movie I don't know. I don't know it. So lawless. Yeah. What is it? So it's about moonshine distributing, um, illegal moonshine back in, you know, I, I think it's set in the twenties. Uh, but Forrest Bondurant is the, basically the, the lead guy. He's a badass, but he's intelligent. Like, um, the, one of the opening scenes, he, um, Oh fuck. No, I got to look up the quote, but anyway, they're moonshine distributors. Hardy just he has the southern drawl with his accent, and that's the other thing is like, dude, he's very good with his accents. Um, but he uh just an absolute badass. Then you talk about Venom. Uh, the other thing that he did was, of course, Bane, um, which was like as far as villains go, like obviously Heath Ledger's Joker gets talked about, but I don't think Bane gets talked about enough because this bad dude motherfucker in that movie. Oh, he's a badass, but like he had to tell the entire story of his emotion with his eyes because of the mask. There's no and, face, right? Right, like he's just oh the, the what he's able to do is amazing, and um, but no, so Lawless though, check it out. I think it's still on Netflix, if I'm not mistaken. Like it's a two hour movie. It's not super long, um, but it's great. But there's a scene, a very opening scene. Um, they're de- delivering moonshine to like a club or something like that. Um, Shia LaBeouf is the youngest brother. He's kind of the pussy of the movie, if you will. Um, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. He does a great job in it as well. Um, I think he's underrated. He's kind of nuts, but he gets, into he, he is. Yeah, he is. Um, but anyway, so uh, a couple of thugs roll up on Shia LaBeouf and are trying to shake him down and everything like that. Tom Hardy walks out, starts like reaching into his pocket, getting brass knocks, putting those on, confront the thug face to face and like drop some philosophical um, shit on him. I'm trying I'm going to find this damn quote, but eventually like lulls him to sleep, essentially um, by talking over his head and then fucking Forrest Bondurant just delivers the knucks to his face. The dude's gurgling, like pretty much dies because he hits him so hard with one punch with knucks. Um, and then the rest of the guys who were there just run. Um, what did he say? Oh, said he tells the guy, he said, um, he compares him to a bird and he was like, you know, birds are interesting. They fly, but they don't really know when the course of their life is changing. They never really see it. And the guy was just kind of like, what? And then pop, drops him one punch KO. Like, um, but one of the most badass scenes. But yeah, uh, that's I'm glad to hear Tom Hardy makes an appearance because that's fucking awesome. <laughs> Dude, if he gets brought into the Marvel Universe uh, and if those two things are connected with Garfield saying he never got to fight an alien and Venom's technically an alien. I'd shit. That's all I'm saying. But, but yeah, I, Tom Hardy and I've seen him because my wife is a huge movie buff uh, and watches a ton of movies. I'll just walk in on random stuff. She's watching on Netflix or whatever. And I've, I saw one movie. I can't remember the name of it. And maybe you do, but uh, it's where Tom Hardy played. There's, like two brothers and he plays warrior the brothers oh and like no i don't know that's uh, not no. it he 
it uh yeah he plays both brothers and one of them has like this huge like lip and he's got a completely like different accent than the other brother and it's like how do you do that in the same movie where you're two characters it's just it's crazy but but yeah I'm, I'm excited to see if he gets brought into the universe uh i haven't seen the second venom movie yet but uh the first one was awesome i think there was actually a lot of uh, humor <laughs> and everything i'm glad they they made it kind of humorous but i'm interested to see which way they go with that it's funny though like looking at tom hardy's movies here so you forget of how many great roles he's played or how many great titles he's been in because you have inception that one of my favorite leo movies um then of course dark knight rises um mad max peaky blinders spider-man venom capone um and then the revenant he had a role in that so there's just oh dude lawless which i of course mentioned warriors another really good one um so yeah dude a lot of range on that guy it's a shame Danny couldn't be here because when I tell you Danny's a fucking Tom Hardy fanboy, oh man. Um, but other than that, uh, we'll go ahead and close it off here. It's been a great episode for those who tuned in. Appreciate it. And uh, as always, honor the huddle. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow the podcast on all major platforms such as Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Don't miss any updates from HotardHuddle.com by going to the website and subscribing to our email list. You can also follow Hotard Huddle on Facebook and Instagram at Hotard Huddle. As always, honor the huddle.